Hello, and welcome to Sobercast. We provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in a podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting Sobercast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Also, if you're a member of NA or have friends that are, please tell them about our other podcast, NAPOD. NAPOD features NA speakers and workshops in the same format as Sobercast. We upload a new speaker every day, and it's easy to subscribe by searching for NAPOD, N-A-P-O-D, all one word, on any podcast player app, or go to NAPOD.XYZ if you'd like to listen online. Hope you enjoy the podcast and have a great day. Well, first thing I got to do is tell the truth before I start lying. (laughs) When the committee contacted me about coming up and talking, I was living in Brunswick at the time. And in April, uh, I came to uh, Thomasville, Georgia. So I'm now... uh, I'm in Thomasville, but I went back home last weekend to see my sponsor. And I went back home last weekend to go to my home group. And uh, I said Monday night I was going to go to meeting and join that group, and I didn't. Because I've been a couple of those meetings and they don't do it like they do it in Brunswick. <laughs> there ain't nobody there with enough time and grade to sponsor me. I need to be right up here talking today. Bad, bad. I'm in grief tonight. I'm, I'm grieving. Bo knows why I'm grieving. Uh, the last time I think I saw Bo, I was 83 Chevette. And I used payment on another car and it's killing me. My car is gone. That car took me all over the United States and never broke down on me. And I'm having a rough time accepting the fact that I have another car. <laughs> I miss putting my all in there. It was so strange passing people on the highway. (laughs) Weekend before last, I, I got in my car and I 
I drove to uh, Milledgeville, Georgia. Some of you may not be familiar with Milledgeville. Uh, at home, when you say you're going to Milledgeville, And it was real strange for me, and I tried to get my daughter to go with me, and she wouldn't go. Maybe she thought I wasn't coming back. It hadn't gotten that much better. I'm still a little crazy. And as I hit the city limits of this town, I, I realized why I was alone and why I was riding in the car by myself. And it was the first time I had ever been to this town driving myself. I'm a, an alumni times two from Central State Hospital. And it was just so strange to go into this town in the front seat of the car. <laughs> and I certainly miss those deputy sheriffs. <laughs> And as I got up to the store, the young man came to meet me that was going to take me to where I was going to stay to talk. And uh, and I said, please take me by the state hospital before you take me anywhere else. And he took me out there, and it was like 25 or 30 years ago I was at this facility. And uh, I do, as soon as I drove into the, the on the campus, I recognized the dental clinic right away because that's the place they took me, and I thought they were going to pull all my teeth out, and I couldn't say anything about it. I drove a little further down the way, and there were several chapels on campus, and but I recognized the one that I attended my very first Alcoholics Anonymous meeting in. And I remember this was the meeting that I went to, that the lady, if you've heard me talk before, I talk about the lady with the miniskirt and the laced-up boots, so you know how long ago it was. And I remember her talking about her having the blackouts and waking up in strange places with strange bedfellows. And I sat back in this church and took this lady's inventory. And uh, this lady, when she finished talking, she was going home. And when I finished listening to her, this technician was going to take me back to lockup. And just how sick I was at that time was, I sat back that bad, I'm going to do something about it. <laughs> I went around by the Rivers building, and, and uh, they had barbed wire. They have a prison there for... I think the criminally insane now. And I felt a little bad because I was president of the alcohol and drug unit patients there. And uh, it kind of tore me up when I realized that they didn't think that my tenure there was worthwhile preserving. But when I went on that campus and... Uh, as I drove around, I can smile about it today, but when I was in that car by myself, I, I was having a rough time. But then it 
hit me square in the face after I got off my pity pot that from whence I come and how different things are in my life today. The last time I, I visited that place, I was shackled in leather straps with cuffs. I was taken into a facility and they didn't treat you with too much respect. And I guess I wasn't in position to demand too much respect. And I had no idea that one day I would be coming back to that town. I would be sober. I would know who and what I was. And that I would be very grateful that I had finally found out what I was about. And you know, every now and then, when the ego gets inflated, God has a way of letting the air out. And he did for me that day. And I am so very grateful that today it is my choice with your guidance to not drink. And through the grace of God in this fellowship, in my most humble way, I say tonight that my name is Carissa and I am a grateful recovering alcoholic. Hi, everybody. I was telling Tom, my friend, uh, that I'm having a few uh, hang-ups about flying right now, but I guess I'll get better after a while. But then I got into Atlanta, and I had a few hang-ups about driving, too. <laughs> But it came to mind right away there was nobody else in the car could do it but me. So I better try to get on down the road and do what I needed to do. I don't guess I'll ever stop having hang-ups, but that's all right. I'm supposed to tell you tonight how it was, what happened, and how it is tonight. How it is tonight was I just transferred to a new job. The job that I'm working on, y'all, the program director was once my client. I think she must have been in treatment something like 12 or 13 times. The lead counselor was once my client in treatment, and I think he must have been in treatment something like 9 or 10 times. And 
I received a new position as the lead nurse. And of course, I've been in treatment umpteen times. And you know what? People are sending people out there to see us. <laughs> Chuck B. from Alma said, my God, I got to come up there and talk just to see this. Because he used to be our doctor when we were coming in and out of those doors and staying drunk and cussing everybody out and not doing anything. And now here we all are going to meetings, talking about what these rooms told us to these people. And all you have to do is just walk in there and watch these three miracles. Walk down the hall, talk to these people, and tell them all the good stuff that you told us. God is so good. Unconditional love. But take my hand and let's go. I have places for you to go and things for you to do, Caritha. If you see the decision and use your power of choice, that is my gift to you. There are things I want you to do. You are worth something. You are somebody. You are my child. And I love you in spite of. Now, I never knew anything about any of this until I came to this fellowship. And you know, this was the last place I wanted to come. Do you know when they start talking to me about Alcoholics Anonymous, the very first thing I would tell them, that's not what I need. I'm a different kind of drunk. You see? I'm different. I don't need to go to those meetings and listen to that all that stuff all the time, every night, the same thing, over and over and over again. I don't want to hear that junk, you know? And what do those chips mean? Walking around like an idiot with a bunch of stuff in your pocket, rattling. I don't need that stuff. I know what I need to do. And I'm not going to go. Call one Sunday night. You know, Sunday about 5 o'clock, the liquor starts running out, even at the speakeasy. Call one Sunday night and says, okay, y'all tell me you're going to help me. And the lady says, well, let me give you a number to call. And I told him, what? I'm asking for help, and you're going to give me a number to call? I wanted service right away. And I put AA on the back burner because it didn't do the way I thought it should do. You see? And my friend, when they had gotten tired of sending me to those facilities, you know, and those treatments, she said, Krita, have you ever tried AA? I said, what you mean AA? I need some deep therapeutic treatment. <laughs> AA does not offer that. 
So as a result of that, I stayed out there a long time. When I came through those doors, didn't nobody want me, y'all, but y'all. I didn't come because I had a choice. I came because I had nowhere else to go. I was a piece of hard, you ever seen those sponges you use over and over again and when they dry out they're so hard you just throw them on the back of the sink and they bounce back? That's the way I was. And you took me in your arms and you saturated me with love. You didn't ask me what fraternity I was a member of or sorority. You didn't ask me how many clubs I was a member of. You didn't ask me what was my bank account. You didn't ask me what degrees I had. You didn't ask me whether or not my mother and father were married. You didn't ask me whether or not I had a happy childhood. You simply said, come in, Carita. Come in. And then you said, you don't have to hear everything we have to say. But if you do have a desire to not drink, this is the place for you. And you know what? I didn't want to stay. You know why I didn't want to stay? Somewhere in the back of my mind, I knew that you had the answer. And do you know what I am and who I am? I hear some people that like, say, I'm an alcoholic. I am an alcoholic. But I don't ever want to forget that I am a drunk. Anytime I start doctoring up my status any kind of way, I'm in trouble. You know, if you walk in a room and there's four people lying on the floor, one could be a doctor, one could be a lawyer, one could be a plumber, one could be unemployed without any employment status, and they were all smelling a liquor, and they were all passed out, and nobody could say nothing. The only thing that you could conclude is that you got four drunk laying on the floor. And I don't ever want to forget that. See, I have trouble with my ego. I don't know about you. See, I hear some people at home, they say, well, you know, when I begin to work these steps, I lost all my character defects. That ain't true about Carissa. They're lying right there, just waiting to be activated. <laughs> if they weren't, I wouldn't need a sponsor and I wouldn't need meetings. You see? And I go to church now, you know. They let me in now. <laughs> and they say things to me like, Caritha, you still got to go to those meetings. I say, if I don't want you, you won't want me in here. <laughs> You definitely won't want me in here. And I said, you know what, church people, I can run all kinds of games on church people. You know, they're the first people I can tell, well, you know, I, as long as I'm coming to church, I don't have to make the meeting. I'm getting better. 
Oh, Caritha, we're so glad to have you. Welcome to the flock. Singing in the choir. Love that gospel music. Singing in the choir, you know. And then just going on Wednesday night to prayer service. Love it. Love the prayer service. And I, they said, well, Caritha, where are you going Thursday night? I said, can't make it Thursday night. Where are you going? I got to go to a meeting. You still go to those meetings? Better go to those meetings. Have to go to those meetings. Went to a new job, three months on the new job, got in my little car, drove myself home. Please, sponsor, I need two days with you. Two whole days. What for, Carita? I need pins put in my ego. I am now supervisor of nursing. I have 35 people working up under me. Do something with me. <laughs> Fix me. I'm about to lose it. I've got a car now that passes people on the highway. I'd better be careful. On October the 19th, 1975, I woke up one morning and I was shaking real bad and I was laying in a bed that sagged. You want one of those beds that call for intimacy without even trying to. You know how you come together. And I was lying in one of those beds and I had uh, an intimate feeling there and I said, why am I here? And I was shaking so bad and I got up and I opened a can of hot beer and I had on these flimsy pants and a little band lawn shirt and I started with a pair of thongs on and I started walking down the street because I could look out of that door of that flop house and I could see my church that I got baptized in when I was around 10 or 12. Down there, and it was a Sunday morning, and I said to myself, what have you come to? Why are you here? If this is the way you have to live, then you need not live. And I took off walking down the street, and I was so embarrassed because of what I had on. And I knew that people who knew me back when I attended church, and I was what you call a goody-good girl, would see me that morning. But I kept walking, and I went down to the clinic, and I sat on the step until a nurse came. And she told me, Carita, I'm sorry, but we don't have anywhere to send you today. And I said, what am I going to do? And she says, I have no idea. I went back to the flop house. My children were in foster care. The house and property that my mother had left me was in mortgage and I was losing. I was an LPN, but nobody would really hire me. I'd never been fired from a job. I always walked off just before they did. And people were looking at me like Barney used to say, kind of flunchy. I went back to the flop house and I stayed there. And I knew if I stayed there, I was going to drink. Nobody told me that. So I went over to the house where my children were in foster care, and I asked them, could I stay there? And they said, of course you can stay there. I said, I have to stay here until in the morning. And I was very shaky, and they said, is it anything we can do for you? And I said, no, just talk to me. And I began to mentally pray. And God took me through that night. 
And the next morning I got up with those same flimsy clothes on. And I realized that I had stashed about $3 or $4 in that room where I was sleeping. And I went back and I got that. And I walked again to the clinic. And I sat there with that change in my pocket. And I looked across that parking lot where they were building this new drive-in bank. And I said, now, you can walk right through there and you can buy your drink and you can stop this shaking and you can come back and sit here and wait on the nurse. But somewhere inside of me, I knew that if I left, I wouldn't come back. They tell me in this fellowship that when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And I sat there with my little belongings on my back and no money in my pocket except those few dollars. And I waited until the nurse came. And she said, Carita, there's no place over at this hot, this facility you want to go to. It's the one that my friend Bo and I are alumni. So I sat there and I looked across there and she said, but we can take you to the state hospital. Georgia Regional. And I said, wherever you want to take me, I'll go. And they took me to Georgia Regional in the van. And the guy that was driving in the van was telling me about AA when I got out of treatment. He says, you got to follow up with AA or it won't work. His name was Frank. And I got over to Georgia Regional and I can remember going in in the dining room and having these little clothes. And I can remember those guys not laughing at me at night because it was 26 guys and me in the alcohol and drug unit. And I remember that Wednesday night we had a meeting and I didn't want to go, but it was required. And the Brunswick group, my home, from my hometown, sponsored the meeting. And a white male got up and he started talking about blackouts. You know, God has a way of working in your life. And I said, my God, that's what I had. Blackout. And he said he drove this transfer truck from one side of the United States to the other, and he never remembered a state until he hit California. And I said, that's what happens to me. And at the end of that meeting, somebody got up and said, if you can identify with anything that you've heard here tonight, we ask for you to come and pick up a white chip. I said, I don't want them things. What is it going to do for me? And I don't know what happened, but I was sitting in the back like Frank, and I started walking up to the front. Somebody took my legs up to the front. And I got up there, and I must have taken one of those white chips. And when I got up there and took that white chip in my hand, I looked at it, and they said, well, just hang on to it. And I went back to my seat, and I sat down. They said they're having a birthday party this weekend and uh, at the clubhouse down at the mental health center if you'd like to go. And I said, well. 
They said they're going to have nice refreshments, and I said, okay, I'll go. <laughs> so during that time, one of the people that was keeping my children in foster care brought me some clothes. And I put on my little blazer and my pants, and I went to this meeting in the van. And when I got to this meeting, a lady stood up there and she talked. And then her husband, who was the Al-Anon, stood up there and he talked. And the only thing I can remember her talking about was this filthy trailer they lived in. And this woman was standing up there and she was immaculate. Her makeup was impeccable. And I said, how could this woman have done the things she said she did? There's no way. And I didn't believe it. And I saw them going back in a room back there, coming out with little white styrofoam cups. And I said, oh, that's where they go. And I said, one day, if I keep coming, they might let me go in there, too. Because I knew if you had a bunch of drunks in a room together, you had to have something going on other than just sitting there talking. And I knew back in that room, that's where I was going to go. So they finally said, well, go back there and get you some donuts. I said, donuts? They said, yes. And I never was a sugar eater, you know, because I drank. And I didn't like sweets too much. And so I went back there, and they had coffee and donuts. And they all came, and they put their arms around me, and they said, welcome. And I said, the only reason they're doing that is because I'm the only black here, and they don't want me to feel bad. They gave me these hugs and said, come back again. And they said, have you, have you picked up your white chip? And I said, yeah. And I had the little stupid sucker in my pocket. <laughs> and I don't know what I was doing with it. But I pulled it out and showed them. Yeah, I got my white chip. <laughs> I went back to treatment. I stayed in treatment, and I remember that Dick Van Dyke movie where he was under that bridge, and he was crying, and a blibbering idiot, and, and I said, oh, that is so sad. And I went back to Brooklyn, and they said, you got to go to outpatient, and you got to make 90 meetings in 90 days, and I said, how come I have to go in here and read that same stuff for 90 days? They said, Carita, if you can make two meetings, make two meetings. And then one day I was sitting down in the clinic and I said, why do I have to go so many times? They said, Carita, how many times a week did you drink liquor? The same thing happened. You drank that liquor. You got drunk. You got sick. You had a hangover. You got better. You drank that liquor. You got sick. You had a hangover. You got better. You drank that liquor. You got sick. They said, Carita, what's wrong with coming somewhere where you don't have to hurt like that no more? Okay. <laughs> I went home and I told my daughter, I said, I found something. I knew I had found something. And I was telling her about it. She was 13. And this is the daughter that I used to throw the ashtrays out. And then I'd give her $10 for her spending money. And then when I'd run out, I'd go back and get it. That's my damn money. Give it to him now. Hmm? Give me my money. And if she didn't give it to me right away, I hit her side the head. 
And I told her, I said, I found something. Mama's found something and she's not going to drink anymore. And she looked at me with her mouth saying, Mama, I'm so happy. And her eyes said, you lying again. And I wanted to slap her down because she didn't believe me. And I went back like they told me to, and they said, when things hurt you and you get angry about them, go down there and talk to somebody at the clubhouse where they play cards and drink coffee. And I went down there, and I knew they were going to take sides with me, right? And I went down there, and I told old JT about it. And I said, you know, my daughter looked at me like I was a piece of dirt. She said, Carita. What makes you think that she should believe you after all the time that you have promised her that you're not going to drink anymore? I could never last more than three months dry. I never truly believed in my heart that I had a drinking problem. I thought if I could get all my problems worked out, I could change. And I can remember they told me that you need to go further, Carita. You're going to have to go to a halfway house because you've been in and out of treatment so many times. You're going to have to do it this time differently. And I went to a halfway house, and there was a man there named Glenn, and he would take us to meetings. I mean, every night, Glenn was right there, and boy, he used to get on my nerves. You ready to go to a meeting tonight? <laughs> I said, Glenn, I don't feel so good. He said, when you felt bad, you drank liquor. He said, you come on, let's go to a meeting. And he would take us all around. And God knew what I needed. And one night they took me to a meeting in Jessup. And there was a black family standing up on the podium. And these girls were singing one day at a time to their dad as he picked up his three-year chill. And I said, well, maybe. Up to that point, I had not seen any black people in AA. And I can remember after I got a sponsor, Jane saying to me, Carissa, if you can't stay for yourself, stay now for somebody else and maybe staying for yourself will come. And I'm grateful today that I stayed because when other members of my family came, I was there. I had three months without drinking, and I went to a group one night, and I was sitting there, and I broke out in a sweat, and I was shaking all over, and I couldn't understand what was wrong. And they said, Carita, what's the matter? And I said, I want to drink, but I don't want to drink. And they said, well, Carita, you got to eat a candy bar. I ate the candy bar, and it went away. You know, everybody's talking about old Jimmy Swaggart. But when I was in that halfway house on Sunday mornings, I'd get up and old Jimmy would pray. And I'd sit there with him in the morning, and I would pray too. And he'd talk about his cousin, Jerry Lee Lewis, and how bad he was on drugs. And when he'd be praying for Jerry Lee Lewis, I thought he was praying for me too. And I sat there and I dealt with that in that halfway house. And then one day they told me, they said, Carita, you can bring your children. 
You see, when I got there, I thought I was going to get me a job as LPN, but nobody would hire me. So I had to wash cars and wax them for the staff, and that's how I earned cigarette money. I began to work in a DUI school, and I made $15 a week, and this was in 1975. And I stayed in that halfway house, and I would go to those meetings. And I can remember the first time I chaired trying to say anonymity. And I couldn't pronounce it. And I stood up there, and I was so proud of myself because I was chairing a meeting at the Serenity House. And one of the most wonderful experiences I had was being able to put a dollar in the basket for the first time. We made meetings, and we made meetings, and we went out of town to meetings, and we came back in for meetings. And I called my sponsor, and I talked about things, and I said, I feel so stupid telling you all of this little stuff. I'm a grown woman. You see, when I came to this fellowship, I was 35 years old. And I thought I ought to be able to do something on my own. And there were very few things that I could call the shots on. One day at the treatment center, they asked me if I wanted a job. And I got a job at the LPN. And I began to work. One day, one of the AA members who owned a car dealership said, Caritha, would you like to have a car so you can go back and forth to Brunswick and visit your family? And I said, yes. Yeah. One day, one of the AA members came up to me and said, Caritha, do you have a place to stay? And I said, no. They said, you, we've got a house, but you've got to pay rent, you know, and be responsible. And I said, okay. One morning, I woke up, and I went outside, and the grass was greener than I had ever seen it in my life. And I began to be amazed at the miracles God was performing in my life. One day, my children and I went to Fernandina Beach for the weekend, and I could afford to take my children to Fernandina. One day also, I took my child for baptism, because you see, all the rest of them, my oldest one, I have four children. One's 29, one's 24, one's 20, and one's 11. The 29-year-old one, I can remember, she was like 10 years old, and she was being baptized one Sunday, and I woke up and I was shaking real bad. And I really intended to go just get a drink and come back. That's all. When I came back, they had baptized my child. That was one of the most painful episodes in my life. Never could make PTA meeting on Tuesday night. I started planning a whole month ahead to get there. Just couldn't get there 7.30 for nothing. <laughs> one day I went to a PTA meeting. One day, somebody asked me to join a committee. And then one day, somebody called me up and said, Caritha, my child has a problem. Is there anything you can do? One day, I went back home, and I rejoined my church, and I looked up at the 
those stained glass windows and I can remember being on my knees in that church after trying to kill myself in nursing school and overdosing on drugs and liquor and coming home and falling on my knees at the first pew and praying to the God that I understood at that time and asking for something but I sat there in that pew that day and looked at those stained glass windows and I had the God inside of me that you gave me in these rooms and I was a secure woman. One day these people came to what is the Carita, what is it that you have? And I say, I don't know. I've been trying to find out a long time. And I figure one day whenever I find out what it is, I'm going to be in trouble. You see? <laughs> but I kept doing what you told me to do, and that was go to those meetings. Don't drink no liquor, Carita. When you have problems, call your sponsor. And then one day somebody asked me to talk. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Six months sober, somebody asked me to talk, huh? You know where I went? To a prison in Odom, Georgia. And I immediately began 13th stepping. All these big, striking, handsome black men came running down those halls. I sit down in that meeting. I said, now, which one? Six months without a drink and looking at a guy behind bars. That's no offense to being a prisoner because I was in jail myself many times locked up, okay? But the fact remains, here I was just six months. You know what they say about when you got six months, you just do know where your fly is. But I was already there. I had arrived. And it was time for me to choose a mate. I don't know about you, but I have a problem in that area right now. <laughs> you see, one thing about me, I'm willing to let God handle everything else but that part. See, he don't know what I need. Have a hard time with that one. Now, God, you sure you know what you're doing. <laughs> I talked one day, and then I began to continue to talk. And they said, share your experience, strength, and hope. And one day I picked up a blue chip. That's what we pick up down in southeast Georgia. And it had my first name, last initial, the day of my last drink on it. Y'all, my three-year-old son, he was three then, he's 20. My son was getting ready to go, and I had made this outstanding brown suede outfit. I was bad. <laughs> I had a turban silk on my head and a silk blouse to match in this brown suede outfit and the brown suede sandals. I said, look at here. And I went to the armory and my kids went with me and my son was, he said, mama, we going to a party? And I said, yes, son. He said, will it be in the booze there? And I said, no, son. He said, do it. Let's go. <laughs> you see, it doesn't matter what age they are. They know about this disease. They live in it every day. You see what I'm talking about? 
And then after I got sober that whole year, you know, and one day I was in the bathroom, and you know, it's a dangerous place to go sometimes when you're sitting down on the throne thinking, you know. And I was sitting there on the throne thinking, you know, and I said to myself, well, God, you've been sober a whole year. Don't you think you ought to be able to have just one? Didn't nobody know about this thought but me and God. But they told me, said, Caritha, whenever you feel that kind of feeling, you better get somewhere quick. And I ran to the treatment center, and they were having my group there. And I said, I said they wouldn't have any middle-of-the-day meetings then. And I said, Father Gilmore, I said, so I'm thinking. He said, Caritha, sit down. He said, now tell me how grateful you are today. And then I began to think from where I came. You see, when I came to this fellowship, I was flat on my back looking up at Bob. Nobody in my town would hire me. All my self-respect was gone. My children didn't want to be around me. I had lost my home. I had no money. The clothing I had on my back. Father Gilmore said, Carissa, are you willing to give up what you have one more time? And I thought about it. You know what I was sick and tired of doing, y'all? Starting over. I was sick and tired of starting over. I was 36 years old and I had nothing my mother was the best enabler in the world. She handed me everything a poor black woman could give a child. And I never had to work like a dog. I never worked in fields. I never got on my knees and scrubbed floors. I never did any of these things. And I was still ungrateful. I had a loving God who had brought me through 35 years of hell, who had given me life six or seven times that I can remember when I tried to take my own life with gunshots and knives and overdosing gas, acting like a fool jumping off a house, abortions here, there, and everywhere, waking up somewhere in a blackout, didn't know where I was, how I got there, who put me there, what I went through the night before, you see what I say, and here I had one year, and I have another one, I'm a sick one. Today I'm 15 years old. What can a 15-year-old teenager do much of? I still can't legally get a job and hold it. I'm still flying around, don't know what's going on. I'm just 15 years old in this new life. You see, so last week I knew I had to go back to my sponsor and start from square one. And I don't ever want to get too big to forget from where I come. You see? Because all I got to do, y'all, is walk right out of here, take a left, and I know I got some room. And there ain't nothing in this world stopping me from taking a gun, except one thing. You gave me God. 
You came when nobody else would come. I can go right now, 4 o'clock in the morning, and call somebody, and they come. There used to be a time when I would call people 4 o'clock in the morning, and nobody came. They come because they've seen the power that Alcoholics Anonymous can enforce. They've seen it through me. When they say carry the message, you're looking at it. This is the message. I choose today to not drink. Not because of any reward, but simply because I am worth being sober. You special. There are very few people on this earth that have gotten the breaks that God has given us. The worst thing I could think of tonight is that my son would die. Next worst thing is I'd probably have cancer. What I want to remember tonight is this. Teresa, when things were going good, you had a loving God. Teresa, because things are not going the way you want them, you still got a loving God. Are you grateful for the amount of time that you were given with that son? Are you grateful for the times you had a clear head? Are you grateful for the fact that God gave you another opportunity to, to birth a child and not be drunk and not be a drunk pregnant woman? Are you grateful, Carissa? They say this thing works under all conditions when it's good and when it's quote ain't bad. You see what I'm saying? When things get where you think you can't stand it no more, remember good is just right around the corner if you would just hang in there and let it come. And I hadn't seen it fail yet. Let me tell you something. I don't have a large bank account. Huh? I don't have outstanding things. But I do have something that you gave me that no human being can take away from me. I have a desire to be so. Ain't nothing like it. When you're getting in rough times, think about me. Because you know what I'm going to be doing? Trying to use these tools that you've given me to stay sober. That's what I'm going to be doing. The most amazing thing I think about right now is when trouble happens, I don't think liquor no more. Oh. Huh? And I don't have just want to say this to you, because they told me to shut up, Caritha, in an hour, and I have trouble with that. <laughs> want to say this to you now. If nobody has told you today that they love you, I do. And I love you simply because I choose to.
And I'm going to love you whether you stay sober or whether you choose not to. But if you want to do something for me today, stay sober. And I promise you that anything that you need, God's going to give it to you. And sometimes those needs turn out to be your wants. My children respect me today, y'all, and they love me. I love me. You told me what it was about. Let go, let God. There are still things out there I can't do anything about that I want to change. Other people, things. People who don't realize what sobriety is about. I want to do something about it. But then you gave me this great thing that keeps me going. That was given to us. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. I can't change anything else on this earth. Courage to change the things I can. And it takes a bunch of courage to change the reason. And the wisdom to know the difference. There's nothing in the world worth getting drunk over. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.